Shalom Saints of Cloverdale Bible Way. I want to say thanks um, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the great physician, and to Brother Tom and the congregation here. She said yesterday um, his wife opened up his eyes, her eyes and smiled to them. Amen. Thank the Lord, Brother Stan and Sister Judy. Amen. Our Lord is a healer. Amen. Oh, and years I've spent in vanity.
prayer at this time. Brother Kyle, nice to have you with us this morning. Can I have you open up service in a word of prayer? We just have a prayer request from our sister Grace Beatty. Uh, she would like us to pray for her sister, Sister Debbie. Uh, she is uh, hoping to get her traveling documents to travel back to Canada as soon as possible. Thank you. We'll remember that this morning. Brother Kyle, if you have a need, just lift it before the Lord. He sees your unspoken prayer request this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is again to be able to turn to you, Lord, with sound minds. And Lord Jesus, we have many needs, but Lord, you're the one who's able to meet those needs, Lord. Sometimes we look at ourselves and how we can meet the need. And Lord, we do our best, we try and we struggle, but when we turn to you, you make all the difference, Lord. Lord, heaven, your angels, yourself, you're not short in power, Lord. Your arm's not too short to reach us where we are, emotionally, Lord, physically, anything, Lord. Even the secret places we can hardly express to others. You're able to meet those situations also. And Lord, may you just come and minister to us this afternoon and help us minister to you also, Lord. Help us be humble. Help us have a heart that's able to receive and not one that wants to just struggle and kick against the pricks, Lord Jesus. May we be able to make it easy for you, Lord. May we be able to make it easy for the minister, Lord Jesus. May Brother Tim just be able to have a liberty and to be able to relax as it were, Lord. And may the Spirit just move in a very unique way, Lord. Whether there's shouting or silence, whatever it is, we just want you to have your way, Lord. May gracious words proceed from your mouth, Father. Touch our hearts, Lord. Touch those who are lost, Father. Touch those who are questioning and those who are withdrawing and isolating themselves, Lord. Meet the need, Father. May we be able to walk away from this gathering and say, Lord, that was so good. We so appreciate what you did for us, Lord. We want to give you the glory, Lord. We don't want to just pat ourselves on the back and think we did a good job gathering. Lord, we want to give you the glory and give you the honor, Father. So we just pray, lay our hands on this prayer request too for Sister Debbie. May you meet that need, Father. Bless Sister Grace and Jay, Lord, and standing in the gap for their sibling, Father. And all the unspoken requests on the hearts and those who are away during spring break, keep them safe, Lord. Revive them, Lord Jesus. Just give them a real refreshing for when they come back, Lord. For the, the road is, it can be wearisome and tiresome, Lord, but sometimes just a special touch from you when we have a little break. It's such a treat, Lord Jesus. So we love you. Commit ourselves to you. Speak to the children also, we pray, Lord. Make your word real to them, Father. Lord, translate it to their little hearts, we pray. Captivate us, Father. Let us be so captivated by you, Father. Enthralled by you, Lord Jesus. Commit ourselves to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. splendor of a king. And we want to welcome any visitors with us this morning. We ask that you feel welcome. Amen. Oh, the splendor of
Hallelujah. Glory to your name, O Lord. There's no one like you. Worthy of all glory. Worthy of all honor. Worthy of all praise. We glorify your name. We lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Name above every name. Worthy that every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess. You are Lord of lords and King of kings. Glory unto thy name. We bless your name, O oh God. We praise your name. Lord, we exalt you. We magnify you. Holy thou art, O oh God. So holy. So holy. Wonderful Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord, we praise you. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can call you Father this morning. We're thankful, Lord, that we can have a relationship with the Creator of heavens and earth. That you being so great and mighty, yet so infinite that you can humble yourself down to meet with each one of us individually this morning. We have come for that reason, Father. This is your house. As we sing that song, Lord, this is your house. Come and dwell. Not just speaking of this room, but we're speaking of these tabernacles, Lord. The tabernacles of these bodies, Lord. These are your houses, Lord in whom you dwell. Come, Lord, speak to us once again this morning. We know that your prophet, Lord, a man filled with the Holy Ghost, would be in a service, and yet he would declare, Lord, he would declare, I'm waiting for him. Lord, we're waiting for you. Not waiting that you're not here. But Lord, we want you to draw near to each one of us individually. We want you to have the preeminence in this service, Father. We want you, Lord, to take it the direction that you want it to go. A man can study and can fall in love with the word afresh. But yet, Lord, you know what's in every heart. You alone are the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so we invite you, Lord, to minister your word this morning the way you would have it to go. We just want to say we love you. As Brother Kyle has already said, Lord, help us not to be nervous. And Lord, help us, Lord, to just draw near to you. We invite you to draw us near to you, Lord. We ask your blessing now upon this ministry of the word in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Job. Greet you all in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly as earlier this morning than it was last Sunday. And uh, good to see everybody here. Good to see the Dingwalls back. Amen. Good to see Brother Kyle. Always glad to see Brother Kyle. I always ask him whenever he comes, you got time for a coffee? I love going for coffee with Brother Kyle because I always enjoy the fellowship around the Word. And, uh, you know, it's always... Uh, we always get into some good subjects around the Word of God, and always appreciate that, Brother Kyle, and God bless you each and every one, everyone that is here. Uh, good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, 
You know, the uh, Wednesday night, brother, brother Michael said, you know, take a deep dive, I think he said, into the church age book. And uh, that's a good, good advice. I remember brother Kyle and I many years ago, oh, it must be half a dozen years ago now, we talked about young men and getting in, sorry? Probably seven years ago now. And we talked about a meeting for young men. So we gathered some young men together and had some meetings. And then it kind of evolved into a study of the church age book. And, and uh, I don't know how many young men here were part of that study. Uh, put your hand up. I don't know if there's, there's a few back there. And, and uh, maybe some of them aren't here. Uh, some being away this morning. So uh, I trust, I believe it was a blessing. You know, we want our young men to become pillars in the, in the house of God. And that can only happen by the word. You know, I, I want to speak this morning on fathers in times of humility. Fathers in times of humility. And uh, it's kind of a continuation of the series we've been in on, on rulership. Uh, God making us into rulers. You know, and the Bible talks about in Genesis that a man would rule over his wife. It talks about in First in Timothy that a father should rule his house well. And, uh, you know, these are times when we need to know our position. And I'm going to speak on fathers this morning. But uh, if you're not a father, I'm sure it will, re- will help you to relate to your father. Not just your earthly father, but your heavenly father. And, and the pastor has been in the subject of Abba Father. And, and he, I told him the first time he preached on it, I said, I'm studying on the same subject. But I wasn't studying it to preach on it, in that I was studying it in order that I might be benefited as a father. And I was examining myself and looking at my own uh, condition and my own position. And so you pull on the word this morning. I believe God has something for you. Do you believe that? You know, my wife heard a testimony this week from a sister. She was at home, one of the previous services that I had just preached, and and she was list- streaming it because she couldn't make it to church. I don't know what the reason was. Maybe the children were sick or something. And, and so she was streaming the service. And I said in the service, I was going along a certain channel. And then I said, well, we won't go there right now. And she said, right there in the house, she says, please go there. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't even know what the subject was. I didn't look back and think about what it was. And, and just a few moments later, I said, well, maybe I'll go there. <laughs> and so she pulled me right into that channel. <laughs> and so if you need something tonight, you just pull the preacher right into the channel. You know, it's a different gift than a prophet, but you know, Brother Branham said the gift is operated by the people. And, uh, you know, so a man can study and labor and look to the Lord, but the gift is operated by the people. It's not for the man, it's for the people. So let's read from the book of Job this morning. I trust that you're ready for the word. Uh, we would love to spend a lot of time talking about missions. Uh, one of the things we're doing, I'll just drop this in before we read the word, is we're putting out, trying to put out a weekly podcast and trying to get it out Sunday morning before you wake up. And uh, some people are up all night working on it. And uh, so we, we do that. You know, it would be nice to hear a little half hour about missions before the service. And, you know, but we can't do it in the service because we don't have time. But if you want to hear about missions, just go to the podcast 
maybe listen to it while you're driving to church or something, and, and you'll enjoy it just a little something. Today it's on the country of Japan and what God's doing in the country of Japan, so I'm sure you'll enjoy that. There you go. There's your missions for the day. We have a burden for missions here, don't we? Amen. Job chapter 1. We're going to read a few verses here. Just to kind of get the background. We know the story, but uh, let's just get some of the detail here. Verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and the man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Imagine that, ten children. And his substance... And his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. Now, I wasn't saying that 10 children make you a perfect man. No, don't get me wrong here. I just maybe clarify that lest you think I was going down that road. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household so that his man, this man was the greatest of all the men of the East." And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now we know the following scriptures is a conversation between God and Satan and how Satan is determined to destroy Job because he's a perfect man in the sight of God. But let's jump down to verse 19. This is after Job had lost all his possessions and messengers came and said, you've lost your camels, you've lost your sheep, you've lost this, you've lost that. And verse 19 says, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. Said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. We'll just read a little bit into chapter 2, if you don't mind, beginning at verse 3. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? a perfect man and an upright man, one that feareth God, escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face." And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of God and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. 
I had to read that part. He sat down among the ashes and, said to his, and then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Heavenly Father, we commit these words into your hands which were spoken and written of old that we might be benefited by them today. And so we ask, Lord, that you'll take them and anoint them with your Holy Spirit as we look into your word that you may minister grace to your children. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. As we speak of fathers, we, we know that a fa- there's nothing greater in the heart of a father than to be proud of his children. I didn't get a single amen on that one. We love to be proud of our children. We love to see our children do good things. I was speaking with Brother Anthony in the office. He didn't know I was setting him up. And, uh, and uh, I said, how's the little one doing? He says, oh, she's doing great. He said, I says, uh, how old is she? She says, she's crawling. And I says, oh, oh that's good. I said, she's not walking yet. Oh, no, he said, didn't say she was. I asked, is she's crawling? He says, no, she's not crawling yet. He says, she tries, but she gets frustrated, and she kind of rolls right now. And he, he's able to describe to me everything that she has accomplished at six months old. Uh, and, and he said, he says, according to the charts, he says, she is, uh, the, what was the word he used? She's developmentally actually at eight months. That's a father. He, he knows exactly where his child stands. All of the parents remember this. With the first, I said to him, I said, she must be your firstborn. I said, because by the time you get to the second or third born, it's like, oh, they'll crawl when they crawl. They'll walk when they walk. They'll talk when they talk. You know, but, but for the first one, we just study it so, you know, we just, oh, where do they fit in? Oh, they're, they're above average. They're, she's only six months, but she's at eight months. And, you know, that's kind of a father, isn't it? Are, are you with me? You know, we, we, we love to be proud of our children. We love to know something about them that's extraordinary, even when they're just a baby. And, oh, I, I heard lots of details this morning of a proud father telling me, describing to me his daughter. And you know, we need, we need good fathers. This might, be, might not be anything you haven't heard before this morning, but maybe just in a way you haven't heard it, perhaps. But we need strong fathers. We need good fathers. And I happen to believe that in order to produce strong fathers, you need strong ministry. Strong ministry will produce strong men. Strong men will make strong families. Strong families will make strong churches. Strong churches demand strong ministry. Amen. It's a circle. And we, we, we must have the men in their position. As much as we say we want the women in their position, we want the young people in their position, we want fathers in their position. The position that the Word gives unto them. I don't want to be a father in the image of my culture especially Canadian culture. 
But I don't care whether you're from Canada, United States, Africa, Europe, South America, Asia. It doesn't make no difference. There's no culture but the word culture to the bride of Jesus Christ. Let me be a father in that image. I'm so glad that we have a message in this hour, a prophet of God that walked close to God that could tell us the father's thoughts and declare to us how the Father was thinking about things. And would even, uh, you know, as a man of God, would stand there and declare, this is where I've made mistakes. This is where I've fallen short. And really the subject uh, of the, of the, that I'm preaching on this morning came out of a study that I was doing even myself as I was, I was watching some of my adult children struggle in their relationships with God. And I was, as I was watching them struggle, I thought, oh Lord, where have I fallen short as a father? Where have I made my mistakes in that I, I, I didn't maybe encourage them enough or I didn't show them enough of your love or, or I, I maybe could have done this better or maybe could have done that better. And so it began to move me into, as Brother Michael would say, a deep dive into the Word of God begin to move me into a deep study of fatherhood and I begin to wonder about, you know, where, where maybe I could have done better because I believe that all the answers lay in the Word of God. So I don't know what this service will do for you this morning, but it might be hard on me. And so sometimes we just need to realize that sometimes God takes us through things in order to teach us something. I remember I was sitting right where Murphy is, right in the chair back there. Uh, it was before you began to sit on the platform, I think, Brother Murphy, many years ago when I first came here. And I was, I was, uh, I was kind of in one of those woe is me attitudes. You know, I was, I'd lost my wife and, you know, I was raising children and, and there were still some children at home and trying to be a father to them knowing I couldn't be a mother to them. They had lost their mother, and you know, I, was, I thought, you know, I, I'm not sure how this all works out, and, and maybe there was something I was going through at the time, but I just began to think about that, and God spoke something in my heart, and he just said, these are the words that he spoke to me. He said, I had to teach you what it's like to be a single parent. I thought, well, that's strange. I thought, well, Lord, if that's what this is all about, then the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In that same service, there was a sister that was going through it that had lost her husband. And, and she came up for prayer after the service. And we were just standing there listening to her prayer request. And her statement was this. She says, it's so hard being a single parent. And then she just looked directly at me. Maybe, Brother Tim, you understand. In the same service. And I just began to think, I never said anything. I just began to think, I'm beginning to understand. We learn things as fathers. We discover, we, we find ourselves in positions that we don't necessarily want to be in. Can you say amen to that? As fathers? And, and I, may, I may speak to the fathers directly this morning, but I, I believe it will be all a blessing to everyone. Let's go back to Job. Who was Job? Job, the Bible says, was in God's sight a perfect man. A man that escheweth evil, 
an upright man, one that fears God, a man that held fast to his integrity. There is no greater man in all the East than Job. Can you say amen to that? That's what the Bible says. Now, what did Job lose in this situation? As we just look at some of the circumstances, Job lost all that he had worked for. Is that right? He lost all his camels. He lost all his sheep. He lost all his donkeys. Not only that, but Job lost his reputation. Job became, he speaks later in the book of Job, he says, it used to be everybody used to come to me for answers. Now nobody wants to talk to me. People used to look to me for wisdom. Now nobody's interested. So Job lost his respect amongst the people, his position. Job lost his health in that he, he became covered with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his body. He lost his children. Every one of them were slain. He lost them all. But I'll go even further and say Job even lost. He might have said, well, you know, uh, as long as I have my wife, you know, I'll, I could still be a happy man. But as Brother Branham describes his wife's attitude towards him, as she begins to say, well, why don't you just curse God and die? Brother Branham says she lost her love for Job. It was like she didn't love him anymore. She didn't want him. She didn't say to him, oh, Job, at least I've still got you. I've lo we've lost everything else. We've lost our children, but I've still got you. No, she said to Job, why don't you just curse God and die? He lost his relationship with his wife. He lost everything. Listen, Brother Branham said, I kept Job on the ash heap for four weeks. Another place he says it was about six weeks. Another place he said it was about six months. You know, sometimes we don't understand preachers lose track of time. Or maybe you understand that when we say we're about to close. But, you know, preachers don't have us, always have a good idea of how long time is. And so, in the, in, in the, Brother Bradham was saying he, he kept him. I, I've got enough notes here to keep us for four weeks about Job on the ash heap. And we certainly could keep him there. But Job lost everything, and he sat down on the ash heap. Now listen now. Job did not sit on the ash heap because he was sick. He was not just because he was sick. That was not everything that the ash heap represented. The ash heap represented that Job had no answers. He had come to a place in his life that his wisdom failed him. His strength failed him. He had no resources left. He lost all his wealth. He lost his children. He had no family to take care of him. He lost the love of his wife. He lost everything. He, he, he ends up in a position that he has to look up and says, I don't know what the answer is. There's a situation now, and I, and, and I felt that this just directly related to fathers as he sat down on the ash heap. But... but as he had no answers, we understand that the reason now is because there was something in Job that God was going to bring out of him. Is that right? I'm just reminding us of the foundation here. There was something in Job. God predestinated in Job a resurrection. All right? But the resurrection is by revelation. And so God had to bring Job to a revelation. Now I want you to catch this.
His ability in business would not take him to that revelation. His wisdom in helping others would not take him to that revelation. His personal strength and and fervency and, and desires and all of that would not take him to the revelation that was necessary. All right? Even his loving wife could not take him to that revelation. So God stripped all that away because, Job, I don't want you to rely on your business ability. I don't want you to rely on your family. I don't want you to rely on your wife. I don't want you to rely on your strength. I don't want you to rely on nothing. I want to take you to a place where you have no answers because there's a question you haven't had answered yet. And only in that place can I give you the answer. Hallelujah. In the message, Power of Decision, Brother Branham says, I remember I'd had Job on the ash heap for about four weeks. Job on the ash heap. Such a beautiful story. God dealing with his saint. And how that we get in those places and distress and don't know where to turn. Can somebody say amen this morning? You might not be there this morning, but you've probably been there. There are places that we get to in life, especially as fathers, and as I'm relating that this morning, in that we don't have an answer to the situation. Brother Branham takes 1960 and preaches as a sunrise service on Easter morning. He preaches the message, I know, takes it from Job, I know my Redeemer liveth. And and, uh, Brother Branham describes not just Job, but he describes many that are on the ash heap. He describes the Hebrew children coming to the place where they didn't have an answer. You know, they said, well, we don't know if God's going to deliver us. We don't know what's going to happen when you throw us into the fiery furnace. But even if God doesn't deliver us, we still are not going to bow. Amen. Amen. They didn't know, but they held their integrity. Daniel going into the lion's den, he held his integrity. Brother Brown talks about Peter at the end of, after seeing Jesus uh, crucified and, and, and uh, experiencing the resurrection and not having an answer. He doesn't know how to handle the situation. I can imagine you talk about stress, and this is a stressful age. But talk about stress. Those men had given their lives to the ministry of Jesus Christ, believing that he was the Messiah, believing that he was the son of David. Now he's been crucified. And in their, in their carnal minds, without the Holy Ghost. They couldn't comprehend what the reason was. Even though Jesus had explained it to them already, it must happen that I must suffer at the hands of wicked men, but yet they couldn't comprehend it. And so after the crucifixion, they're just wondering, how are we going to handle this? Peter says, I go fishing. I can't take this anymore. I'm going fishing. Sorry, brothers, I'm out. I'm going fishing. I got no answers here. I'm just putting you on the ash heap. Amen. You with me this morning? Brother Branham, in that that service, he says, I'm on the ash heap today. He says, I've got a court case hanging over my head right now. He says, the government's trying to tell me I I owe hundreds of thousands of dollars in back taxes. I don't have that kind of money. They say every offering that came into the campaign, I need to pay taxes on it. 
which just isn't right. Because it didn't come to me, even though it was in my name, it went back into the ministry, into the gospel. And it covered the expenses and all those kind of things. And, and he's explaining the court case. He says, I don't know what to do. They won't let me go. God had put Brother Branham in a situation that he didn't have an answer. And he was God's prophet who, if anybody could hear directly from God, it was God's prophet. But yet God hadn't given him the answer. But he says, I know my Redeemer liveth. He says, many days, he's, in that same message, he talks about Job. Many days he'd sit on the ash heap, was trying to find words to console him, trying to find something that would give him courage, something that would be a comfort to him as he's seen his life fading out of him. Can you enter into that this morning? Can you realize there's times in life you're there? He says every Christian believer has to be pushed into those trials. Every Christian believer has to be put on the ash heap. So that he can come forth with an experience. I know my Redeemer liveth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Says, why was that precious little boy the other day stricken blind when he was born? That God might get glory and turn a city upside down. Sure, God knows what he's doing. God knows. He puts us on the ash heap in order to show us his glory. He says, after 31 years of ministry, after 31 years of toils of the field, I want to make my testimony to this. I've seen disappointments. I've seen the time that I've asked for things and cried for things and begged for things and failed to get them. But I'll just wait patiently upon God. Sorry, I read that wrong. He says, but if I'll just wait patiently upon God, then I'll know that it works just exactly right. Comes out just exactly right. Does just exactly the right things. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many can say, I know my Redeemer liveth this morning. Amen. We know that he lives. Job was being brought to that place of, I know my Redeemer liveth. He had, he had faith in one thing as he sat upon the ash heap. He had one thing that he had as he sat there. Didn't have his strength. His mind seemingly breaking apart, looking for answers. You read the book of Job and all of the questions he has. I've looked at this and I've looked at that, but what about this and what about that? And I haven't found an answer for this, and but yet I know this and I know that. And, the, and his so-called comforters are throwing questions at him. Job, a man doesn't go through what you're going through without being a sinner. They didn't understand God. And, and so all of the things that, that Job was going through, his mind was breaking apart, his strength was breaking apart, he, he had nothing, he, he couldn't get up and, and, and say, well, you know, I'll just get back to work and I'll just build it all again. He had no strength. You know, he, he couldn't do nothing anymore. He, he had nothing to, because he, he couldn't say, I'll go to the bank account and take some money and take a holiday. He had no bank account left. He lost everything. But he had one thing. 
He knew he had made the provided sacrifice. He had faith in that provided sacrifice. That's all he knew. That's all I have. I'm sitting here, but I have a provided sacrifice. Listen, if you have nothing left but a revelation that you have a provided sacrifice, you have everything that you have need of. Hallelujah. Though you be in the depths of the depths, the lowest of the low, though you be in the valley of decision or the valley of the shadow of death this morning and going through some arduous experience in your life, don't look at those circumstances like Job. Rather, look at this provided sacrifice. That's what I want to say to you this morning. Look at the sacrifice. The sacrifice was perfect. Job knew I've made the provided sacrifice. I have faith in the sacrifice that was made. I have faith in the provision. I can't understand why I'm here, but I have faith in the provision. I don't know why this is happening to me, but I have faith in what the sacrifice has done for me. Rising of the sun, Brother Brown says he held right to what he had. Now he's a prophet. He said, I'm not a sinner. I've offered the provided sacrifice. Amen. He wasn't even claiming to be a perfect man. God pointed to him as a perfect man. But he never stood there and said, no, 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 no. I'm a perfect man. I don't deserve any of this. No, he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I've received good at the hand of the Lord. And if I receive evil at the hand of the Lord, so be it. Amen. Amen. It's like Brother Branham say, I'll serve him every day of my life. I love him. And even if he casts me in hell, I'll still love him if I feel the same way I do now. I've enjoyed the blessings of the Lord. That's my testimony this morning. I hope it's your testimony this morning. I have benefited from the blessings of God. And no matter what he chooses to put his servant through, I will serve him. If I have to serve him alone on an ash heap, I'll serve him. No matter what God does, I've been introduced to him. Oh, what it means to have a relationship to God. Think deep in your life. This isn't about coming to church and hearing a bunch of good quotes and putting it all together and, oh, that sounds so wonderful. That works just perfectly in church. No, you're going to go through some experiences in life where you will have an ash heap. Sorry, but this is true this morning. This is not a mountaintop message. This is a valley message. We love the mountaintops, but we all go through valleys. Though he slay me, yet I'll serve him. I trust him with everything that I am. I've never seen him fail. Let me go back to what Brother Branham is saying about Job here. He says, no matter what the others said, he was right there at the word. And then that tremendous hour, he said, you speak like a foolish woman. He said, the Lord gave, the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Brother Branham knew what he was talking about. He says, I... It said, I come into the world without anything. I come here naked. I'll go the same way. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sitting there, broke out in boils. His kids dead. He was poverty stricken. His friends all turned against him. 
his church members, and everything else. What a miserable wretch. He says, none of you ever been through that yet. Still, he held to the word. He said, he was an eagle. Are you an eagle? We're called to be eagles in this age. He held to the word. Job had that revelation that fellowship is under the blood. The blood of the provided sacrifice. He had one thing that was faith in the provided sacrifice. He couldn't even offer another sheep because all his sheep were wiped out. But he had a revelation. I've made the provided sacrifice. I'm identified with the provided sacrifice. The revelation that the blood is the only way to fellowship with God. The eternal representation that his soul had in the presence of God that gave him that revelation. Like God gave it to Abel just out of the Garden of Eden that it's not works. It's not fruits and vegetables and beauty and all of that. It's only under the shed blood can I get back to fellowship with God. See, that's, what, that's the problem with the age of what people are desiring. Satan has shaken every pretty thing in, uh, before the eyes of humanity and say, well, you know, if you do this, you'll be satisfied. If you do that, you'll be satisfied. If you live to the flesh, you'll be satisfied. If you just drink a little, you'll be satisfied. Try these drugs, you'll be satisfied. Have a career, you'll be satisfied. Get this education, you'll be satisfied. Get this position, you'll be satisfied. Make all this money, have a big bank account, become a millionaire or a billionaire. That will satisfy you. And the the devil's shaking all these things before this age. The only satisfaction is when sons and daughters of God get back to their relationship with the Father. In there is the only satisfaction. You can chase those things all you want. You can chase your desires all you want. You can think this is what will make me happy. And it might have a temporary pleasure in it. But eventually that emptiness, that void that drove you to it in the first place will remain unfulfilled. You can't fill the void in the soul with the pleasures of the world. You can only fill it with a personal relationship between you and the Father. And the Father is desiring such a relationship. That's the great thing. Amen. It's not just us wanting it. It's Him wanting it more than we want it. It's for that very reason that he made creation and he gave the provided sacrifice as it was there in the Garden of Eden, how that God saw Adam and Eve fall. I'm getting ahead of myself. But let me, let me just say that back where, where the relationship with the Father was broken and Adam and Eve then began to run from the presence of God. Is that right? They, began, they hid themselves as they heard the voice of the Lord in the cool of the evening coming down to fellowship. So the fellowship was broken. The fellowship was broken because of sin. And they tried to make themselves presentable to God by fig leaf religion. You know, religion is man's attempt to get to God. But redemption is God's purpose to redeem his children. 
They're, they're diametrically opposed to each other. They're opposites. Religion is what man tries to do. And there's many religions around the world of many different types. And it's all man's attempts to, to get closer to God. But God says, I will draw nigh unto you. Jesus said, no man can come unless my Father draws him. So it's the Father drawing you. And he draws you by coming to you and revealing his word to you. That's his purpose. In every age, he reveals his word. So that as he reveals his word a little bit, here a little, there a little. Line upon line, precept upon precept, God begins to unveil himself a little bit because he knows if you're a son of God, you are attracted to him. He doesn't have to jangle some kind of blessing in front of you. He doesn't have to, to just you know, try to attract you with some kind of little thing. Oh, it might, it, it might do that. You know, Brother Branham says, the hook is salvation, but divine healing is the bait on the hook. He says, divine healing is a minor, not a major. He says, the real major is salvation by the word. The sons and daughters of God coming back to, redeem, to being redeemed back to their position in Christ. All right, so in all of that, now what, I, what I'm saying is that God has one purpose, to bring you back into the family. As, as the parable of the prodigal son, there's one purpose, bring him back. The purpose is not to say, you've done wrong. Hello? The purpose of the gospel is not to tell you, you've done wrong. But to reveal the truth means you will know you're wrong. That's just part of the reality. If you have truth, you know what error is. And so when God reveals his truth, it shows us, oh, I'm so wrong. I'm so far from God. Like I was talking to Brother uh, uh, Timothy Pruitt about Japan on the podcast, and, and he, was, he was saying, you know, there was this man that, he says, I've been to every Bible school there was that I could go to. I've studied the Word all my life, and you t show me just plainly in the Scripture that I need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that my Trinitarian baptism doesn't apply. And, and he says, that is, that is so real to me. He, he says, I got to be baptized. I got to be baptized as soon as possible. Hey Amen. Something became real to him. I'm wrong. And I need to be right. Not in my sight, in God's sight. Because he was a child of God. And all he had to do was hear the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Hallelujah. I just said, Lord, take this the way you want it this morning. There's no way we'll get through everything this morning, but we trust that it will get to where we need to get to. Amen. There's only one provided sacrifice. That's Calvary. No man comes to the Father but by the Son. And it's not by believing in the Son as in Jesus existed. But it's coming to a, rev a, a revelation of Jesus Christ personally to you. Of what he is to you. That he's your Savior. That he's your healer. That he's your Lord. That he's your Redeemer. That he's your Bridegroom. Not coming to a theological understanding that he's the Bridegroom of the church. That salvation is only in Calvary. That, uh, you know, there is healing in the covenant. Those are theological understandings. 
But what you need is a personal understanding. He's my healer. He's my provider. He's my savior. He's my redeemer. He's my deliverer. He's my all in all. Amen? One provided sacrifice. And God represented that in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves. But God came down and killed a provided sacrifice so he could clothe them with bleeding skins and thereby bring them into fellowship as a representation of the perfect sacrifice that was to come. Because that was animal sacrifice that could never take away sin, but only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the life coming from him back to sons and daughters of God, God's own life coming into those who believe. Brother Bram says, God's first decision was to pardon man by the shed blood. Since that time, that's been God's only place of fellowship to meet with man. Before there, he met him in the Garden of Eden. No, no blood had to be necessary. He's talking about before the fall. There was no blood necessary. There was just perfection. But once the fall came, since that time, he says, his decision was to meet Man back, redeemed by blood. It's been the only place that fellowship could be observed by God. It's the only place that God can meet the sinner, and we're all sinners by nature. It takes the blood sacrifice to bring us back into fellowship with Christ again. God clothing them with bleeding skins for fellowship. But now today God is clothing his bride again with a word, the word that bled for you. Now come in the form of a message. There was one natural blood shed, that was Calvary. But the life of that blood is the life of the word. Amen. And when the life of the word comes into individual, that word clothes you. And in the last days, he's clothing his bride with the last day's message to clothe her as a bride. And all that that means in her life, taking us back to everything that Adam and Eve lost bringing us back into the likeness of eternity. That's where this message is taking us, from mortality to eternity. That's why it's a rapture message. The fullness of adoption, to wit, the redemption of our mortal bodies. The last step of adoption is the change of these bodies, where we will never be mortal again. Hallelujah. I was teasing the brothers in the office. I said, we were, it was early. I said, how many are gone at spring break? How's the congregation? Someone says, looking pretty slim. I said, like me. Oh, you laugh too. They laugh too. I said, I was speaking that by faith. 
I think in my theophany, I'll be a little bit more slim than I am right now. But you know what? There's coming a body change. Talk about a weight loss program. Praise the Lord. No diets required. Amen, Brother Ben. <laughs> Nothing required on your part. God's going to change you. You young men won't notice much. You'll notice, but you won't notice as much as some of the older ones like Brother Glenn back there with his hand up. And, you know, praise the Lord, Brother Joe. When that happens, man, I'll tell you what, our wives are going to be impressed. <laughs> are you with me? We laugh about it, but it's going to be real. It is real. And it's going to happen one of these days. And we can't explain it. We don't have the answer for it. We don't know how it's going to happen. All we know is one day, the Spirit of God is going to move over the face of the earth. And the bride of Jesus Christ, wherever she is on this earth, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Amen. And those that are changed will never see death. Right now, we're still having funerals. Right now, we're still having memorial services or celebrations of life or whatever you want to call them. They're still going to happen. People are still going on to the other side. But one day, hallelujah, there'll never be another funeral preached. One day, there'll never be another uh, tear shed, as it were. There'll never be another time of, oh, well, so-and-so has gone on or did you hear so-and-so passed away or this happened or so-and-so was in an accident or so-and-so's got cancer or this kind of thing. There'll be no more. Hallelujah. Sons and daughters of God are being brought back into the image that Adam and Eve lost in the Garden of Eden. The Word is taking you there. The Word is providing that there. God providing a sacrifice for the family. Right now, we might not understand it. We might not comprehend it. We might not even, even fully uh, uh, grasp everything that it means to us. But we know one thing, that we stand in this valley. I'll say it, I'll call it this morning, a valley of ash heaps. We stand in this valley and we say, I know my Redeemer liveth. And I believe in the provided sacrifice. And though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I believe it with all my heart. Calvary paid the price. Paid the price for my salvation. Paid the price for my healing. Paid the price for a new body. Paid the price to be reunited with my theophany. Paid the price for everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God has paid the price. He, God has provided a sacrifice there in the Garden of Eden. Now, now we're going to take a detour. You still with me? As we spoke last time on judgment being set, the battle, sin did not start in the Garden of Eden. Sin started in heaven. And that's where the battle started, where Lucifer deceived a third of the angels, set, up a, set in war against Michael and, and, and the angels, and was cast out of heaven, and was cast down into the Garden of Eden. All right, now let's stop just a moment and think about this. God allowed that Lucifer would be cast into the Garden of Eden, knowing he would get into the serpent, 
knowing that the serpent would deceive Eve and that the Lucifer's lies would wreak havoc on his own family. But God did it anyway. God allowed it anyway. So God had a purpose in it. God had a design in what he was doing. And the design was there was a part of his relationship that he wanted to express with his children that could not be expressed any other way. He could not express himself as a savior to his children unless something was lost. He could not express himself as a healer to his children unless something was sick. He could not express himself as the deliverer unless something was taken captive. Amen. God had all of these attributes in him. So the whole purpose of God allowing the negative to come into the Garden of Eden was so that he could bring forth the realities of what the atonement meant to the people. Because only through the atonement could he express himself in these ways to his own children. God allowed it to happen in the Garden of Eden now. I'll say God allowed it to happen in Job's life because there was something in Job that could not be expressed any other way. It wasn't just the revelation or the word that was in God, but in Job lay a predestinated seed. In that predestinated seed lay the resurrection. Come on. In that predestinated seed laid a resurrection. But the only way for that resurrection to be manifested was through an atonement. That there had to be a negative circumstance. There had to be a situation of Job on the ash heap to bring out attributes of him as a father. To bring out, I'm not talking about God now, I'm talking about Job. Job had to stand there and say, I've lost my children, but they're not lost. Because I have faith in a sacrifice. I know I've made the provided sacrifice. I know I've instructed my children. I know I've given them every opportunity. And I can no longer stand in between them and God. It's now between them and God except for one thing. I have made the provided sacrifice. Hallelujah. I have faith in that sacrifice. Everything of my relationship to my children as a father hinges on the provided sacrifice. Hallelujah. See, God wants to do that, fathers. God will bring you to places where you don't have an answer. That's okay. I knew it would get quiet on this part. God will put situations in your family that you are unable to answer. Because as a father, we're the strong one. Come on. Come on, dads. We're the one, we're the provider. We're the protector. Come on, you believe that, don't you? We're the ones that stand for them. When trouble comes, we face the trouble with them. But yet there'll come situations in your life where God will put you on an ash heap and he'll say, I'm not going to give you the answer. You're going to have a situation where it seems like there's no answer. 
Hallelujah. That's why as a father, I'm so glad I have a provided sacrifice. It's not my strength. It's not my ability. It's not my understanding. It's not my ability to quote the message. It's not how much I understand. It's, it's not how much I've saved for my children. It's not how much that I've done for them. It's not how perfect I am. Because Job in all of his perfection never appealed to his perfection. He appealed to one thing. I know I have made the provided sacrifice. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him. On that alone I stand. And if you don't know him there, you need to know him there. Because they'll come as sheep in your life where there's no other answer. I know men that are way more brilliant than I. Way more brilliant than I. And are able to work through situations and, and, and able to, to understand things and able to put things together and solve things, and whether it be business or whether it be other issues of life or whatever more. And I just, you know, you admire their ability. But you know, even to them, there'll come a time where there's no answer. And each one of us need to know, I know my Redeemer liveth. Amen. You with me so far? All right. It wasn't Job's perfection and it won't be yours. That solves the problem. It's the provided sacrifice. The Father knew the need. And God providing a sacrifice brings down what meets the need into each one of our lives. Let me just read you something that Brother Brown said in 1956, if you don't mind. He's talking about God condescending. He says, just think that who he was, this is God he's talking about. He was the Logos that came from God in the beginning. He was the Word. He was the angel of God that was with the children of Israel in the wilderness. He's talking about God in his high priest office. God is Jesus Christ. He said, he was the great supernatural of heaven, none other than Jehovah himself. Come down here on earth and become a man. Not only a man, but became a servant of man. And took upon himself... To, a make of no reputation. He became a foot washer. He went to the lowest city in the world, Jericho. Was so low till the smallest man of the city had to climb up in a tree to look down at him. God raised him up and put him so high above every heaven until he has to stoop over to look to heaven. That's what God did for him. So if you want to be exalted, humble yourself. If you exalt yourself, you'll be brought down low. I think of him that when he was risen from the dead that morning, and he was then, that he was then had his own blood as a high priest, and he went beyond the veils through every sphere. Satan in times past had men blocked, up for, blocked off from heaven. He could not get in contact with heaven. But when Jesus took his blood, the first veil he rent was the veil of death and the veil of the grave, and the veil of the temple, and the veil of sickness, and the veil of fear, and every veil that there was, and unveiled God to man. 
So in revealing the covenant of Calvary, God, Christ was unveiling God to man, showing him as a healer, showing him as a provider, showing him in true worship, showing him in every aspect. He says, went in way above heavens of heavens and was seated on the right hand of God and set down as a finished work. All above. And there he opened up a channel that God used to come down through the corridors of heaven and talk to mankind in the Garden of Eden. And Satan by sin had blocked them, but the great high priest, with his anointed, with his blood, went through every veil and ripped her open and cleared out the skies of get again that God and man could be father and son and commune again with one another. That's what this is all about. It's not about a church. It's not about a group. It's not about resources. It's not about anything like that. It's about God in you. You're not some, some cog in a machine. It's God in you. It's not elevating of some gift behind the pulpit. No, it's God in you. It's God making himself known to you individually. He's ripped, ripped every veil. If you've got some kind of a veil that stands between God and man, you need to apply the provided sacrifice. If you've got something blocking you off from relationship with God, you need to apply the provided sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. It was a temporary sacrifice in the Garden of Eden, but God called man. God became man to bring the fullness of the measure of the atonement into mankind that God could fellowship with his children again. See, it's God bringing the atonement to bring back the relationship of father and his children. You see, outside of the atonement, the connection between a father and his children is very breakable. Uh, and this is what I want to say to fathers this morning. You can claim your children, and that's wonderful. We believe in that. But if it doesn't go beyond that, it must go into your individual faith as a father in the atonement. It's the atonement that makes your relationship with your children unbreakable. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say, is that true? How can you prove that, Brother Tim? I'll say it to you very simply. Brother Branham went to hell as a 14-year-old. Is that right? And what did he find out as he descended into the regions of the lost? He found out, he cried out for all, that, all the connections that he knew. He says, oh, mother. He says, but there's no mother there. The connection is no more. Oh, Father. There's no Father there. He cried out, Oh, God. He said, But there was no God there. Until he got so desperate, he says, God, if you'll let me live, I'll serve you. And that's when he came back to himself. Because all men are headed to the regions of the lost. All men, all women are headed to that region. This is a heavy service this morning, isn't it? They're all headed to that region except for one thing, a provided sacrifice. Hallelujah. 
how we want to just cast ourselves on the provided sacrifice this morning and say, oh Lord, one thing I have, I don't rest upon my position, I don't rest upon my education, I don't rest upon my ability, I don't rest upon my bank account, I don't rest upon anything. If I have one thing, let me have the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Hallelujah. See, even God, when he spoke to Solomon, and Solomon prayed, Lord, if your people end up in trouble, and they pray towards this temple, won't you hear them? And God says, God replies to him in a dream. He says, I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence upon my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. See, that's the first step. Sometimes fathers, as I said, there's times of humility in fatherhood. When things happen that we, we may or may not know why they're happening is irrelevant. He says, humble yourself. If my people shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, this didn't apply to Job because Job didn't have any wicked ways to turn from. But he still humbled himself. He still sat on the ash heap and humbled himself. He says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Amen. Can I go further? You're saying, please get Job off the ash heap. <laughs> Just like they said to Brother Branham when he had him on the ash heap. Abraham was a great father. Outstanding. God said you'll be the father of many nations. And God speaks to Abraham now in Genesis 18 as the Lord comes down in a physical body, Elohim, appearing to Abraham there in Genesis 18. And Abraham communes with God, and God says, Shall I hide anything from Abraham? Or shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Now we know Abraham is a prophet. Abraham is the father of the faith. Abraham is called a friend of God. You know, there, there's great positions that Abraham had. And God said, I'm not going to hide this from him. He says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That's one man. And I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. Notice he said, they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. All right. So Abraham will command his children or Abraham will instruct his children. Okay. Now, what did Abraham instruct his children on? There was no law. There was no Bible. There was no, uh, the law wasn't until 400 years later or 500 years later, Moses on Mount Sinai. 
So what is Abraham instructing his children on? He has to, if he's instructing them on the way of God, it has to be the way that God revealed himself to Abraham. And the way that God revealed himself to Abraham was in a grace covenant. So he had to instruct his children. So his instruction to his children was not do's and don'ts. Although I'm sure Abraham had some do's and don'ts. Like any father. I'm sure that there was some things that were very real to Abraham that are not profitable. But he, he had to instruct them that it was grace and that by faith in a provided sacrifice. You see, children, God made his covenant with me in a sacrifice back in the desert where God came to me personally and accepted that sacrifice and made a covenant with me that he will be with me and be with my children and we will have this land and it is ours and it's not anything I did to deserve it. God came to me. God spoke to me. And God revealed himself to me. And God showed me his ways. And God made me his servant. And God called me his prophet. And no matter how many mistakes I made in life. Hello? No matter how many mistakes I made in life, he was still with me. Because he chose me. I didn't choose him. He spoke to me. He came to me in Ur and said, get out. And I went out. He said to me to separate myself from unbelief. And I separated myself from unbelief. He told me to walk with him alone. And I walked with him alone. He told me that my seed would be as the stars in the heaven. And I believed him. And it was accounted to me for righteousness. You see, the faith that I have is by, or the righteousness that I have is by faith. It's not my works. Hello? In other words, children. Now he's a father instructing his children. In other words, children, it's not how great I am. It's not what I did. I have one thing to stand on. That's a provided sacrifice. If I could be so bold this morning. We know that our pastor is coming to the last days of his life if the Lord would tarry. Might be a year, might be five years. Lord, give him 10 years. Lord, give him just as, however many healthy days. I want him to be healthy, don't you? Amen. Brother, don't you want Brother Biscoe to be healthy all the days of his life? Amen, we sure want that. We don't want anyone to suffer. But when a man becomes weak, when a man becomes to the end of his life and he considers the, the pathway of his life, I'll tell you what, when I reach the end of my life, I want to be able to say, it's not because I did this. And let me, bear with me. I'm not making these small. These are great things. It's not because I built a church in Cloverdale. It's not because I built a school for the children. It's not because we bought a camp for the families. It's not because we, we, we had the video streaming. And it's not because we had the music. And it's not because we did this or not because we did that. But when I come to the end of the road... I want to be able to say, I have faith in a provided sacrifice. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that? I don't have faith in this building. I'm sure Brother Biscoe would say that. 
I don't have faith in a school. I don't have faith in a, anybody else. I don't have faith in a camp. I don't have faith in my own labors. I don't have faith in whatever I've laid up for my family, and that's all wonderful, and that's all good. But I have faith in one thing, that because of the provided sacrifice, I know I'll see my Redeemer. And I believe my family, because of the same sacrifice, will see the same Redeemer. And it all rests in the provided sacrifice. And that's what Abraham had to tell his children. God chose me. It's not I was good. It's not that I was better. How many times does Brother Branham say that? Abraham was just a man. Abraham was just a normal man. He, was, he wasn't anything special. But God chose him. That's what made him special. God chose you. To reveal his sacrifice to you. To reveal the atonement to you. Hallelujah. That we could stand here today. And say I know my redeemer liveth. I know. It's not a, it's not a hope so with me. I know. Abraham could look back in his life. And I met him there. When I was down in Greer. I met him there. When I was in the backside of the desert. I met him there. He came to me here. He came to me there. When I was in trouble. He came to me there. When the king of Greer took Sarah. I didn't have an answer. But he came there. I had a sacrifice. I might not have had an answer. But I had a sacrifice. Hallelujah. When trouble assailed me on every side, he was there. Hallelujah. When my wife laid in the hospital, he was there. Glory to God. When my children got into trouble, he was there. When I made mistakes, he was there. Oh, he was there. Every step of the way, he was there. Hallelujah. Not because I had power to bring him there, but because he chose to be there. That's my father. He has provided for himself a sacrifice. He is Jehovah Jireh. Glory be his name. Every step of the way, he was there. I'm sure when Abraham said, I had troubles with Lot, we had some arguments. I told him, let's not argue. You just go your way, I'll go wild. You'll still be my brother, but you just go your way. Just choose whatever pathway you choose. I'll go the other way. But in those arguments, God was there. In those disagreements, God was there. Paul had to face that with Barnabas. When they, they had a split, I hope that's not a dirty word here. I suppose it is. That's okay. I'm nobody. But even when Paul and Barnabas split, Paul said, God was still there. Paul could say, God chose me. I didn't choose him. I was busy killing Christians. And God chose me. Is that right? That's what Paul could rest on his entire life. I know whom I have believed. I know how he met me. I know how he spoke to me. It's wonderful that he spoke to the pastor. It's wonderful that he speaks to the deacons. It's wonderful that he speaks to somebody else. 
but he'll speak to you if you let him and make himself known to you personally. So when there's questions in your family, brothers, when you're a father, if there's questions of family, don't examine just, we all examine our actions, but don't just look at your actions, look at the atonement. Look at your faith in the atonement because everything rests there. God, who chose Abraham, knew, knew lots about him. Knew that he would believe Sarah or take Sarah's word and, and take to him Hagar. And have a son called Ishmael. Is that right? God knew that. A son of his flesh. Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham's son. Whether you like to hear that or not, Ishmael was Abraham's son. I'll go further. Abraham loved Ishmael. He didn't want to put him out. When the bondswoman and the free woman had their arguments, it grieved Abraham. Because Sarah said, put her out. Put that boy out. He's treating Isaac not right. You know, he's... This is supposed to be his little brother, but he's, he's being so mean to him and making fun of him and all those kind of things. And, and Sarah was like, this isn't right. And God said to Abraham, put him out. Now listen, before Isaac was born, when God appeared to Abraham and says, I'm going to visit you and you're going to have a son and Abraham's 99 years old and, and Abraham looks up to God, what's his, what's his reaction as a father? His reaction is, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Is that what he said? That's what he said. That's his son. Now I realize we like to down Ishmael and put him out. I'm getting to a point here, but I want to anchor the point. Ishmael, in Abraham's mind, was his son. And Abraham was not happy to put Ishmael out. It grieved him very much. And I, I ponder that. How could a father, see, even, even by a bondswoman, put her out? It had to be God speak to Abraham that said, go ahead and listen to Sarah and do what she asked you to do, and I'll be with Ishmael. Don't worry about Ishmael. That had to bring a peace to Abraham. Said, I can't bear to have Ishmael around, but I can't cast him out. But God said, put him out. See, folks, I'm telling you some of the heart-wrenching things that fathers go through. Sometimes you have to do things that grieve you. That's all right. I'm going to keep going even if it's quiet in here. Did you know that in Abraham's funeral, it was Ishmael and Isaac that buried him? See, don't just gloss over the surface and say, well... Isaac and Isaac and Isaac. You know, after Isaac was born and Sarah raised her child and then Sarah passed away. Isaac or Abraham had, an, had another wife and her name was Keturah. All right, I'm talking about a father here. And, and so as he, he took this wife Keturah, she bare him many sons. And the names were Zimram and Jokshan 
and Medan and Midian. You heard that name before? Midian, of whom were the Midianites. The Midianites were offspring of Abraham. The Ishmaelites were offspring of Abraham. All right? I want to just anchor this down. There's others, Ishbak and Shua, and I might not even be saying it the right way. Moses' wife came from, uh, from the Midianites. The, she was a daughter of the priest of the Midianites. You know, that was 400 years later. We find that the Midianites allied, them, allied themselves with the Moabites. Who was the Moabites? They were the children of Lot through his own daughter, which Lot was a nephew of Abraham. So we're drawing some connections here for you. I have a purpose in bringing all of this out. But all of his children, when God said Abraham will instruct his children, I'm quite sure he instructed Ishmael. I'm quite sure that he instructed Isaac. I'm quite sure that he instructed Midian. Abraham was a father and a good one at that. And he had all of these sons that he instructed. And that's important that a father instruct his sons. But there was one son in whom was the promise. And God had chosen Isaac. You see, we could go over to David as a father. And David had many sons. I can't remember the number of sons that David had. And David had a lot of sons. But amongst all the sons that David had, God says, I choose Solomon. And said, I make him my own son. Is that right? I call him Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. And so God is showing a relationship here now that when your children come into existence, it's not important that they're your sons. See, even Paul brought it out in the scripture. He says, not all Israel is Israel, even though they're the literal seed of Abraham. You say, Brother Tim, you're tearing apart all of our, all of our pre-structured ideas about the families in the Bible. No, I'm getting to a point here that you really see it. Was that Abraham had a son and that son was Isaac, and God chose that son. He says, I'm going to give you that son. Why? Because it's through that son the promise was going to come. It's through that son the covenant was going to carry on. It's through that son God was going to establish his word with Isaac. Why? Because God was going to take him as his own son. It was not a promise to Abraham, because it's your son, I'll bring him through. There were many seed natural of Abraham that never made it. But rather God saying, in your seed, I will choose your offspring because of the provided sacrifice. I will bring that son into relationship to me. I will bring that son into communion with me. You see, it's the revelation that God doesn't have grandchildren Hello? I'm not interested in my children being saved because they're my children. I'm interested in my children being saved because they're God's children. Hallelujah. There's no grandchildren in heaven. None of them. There's not one thing. Uh, God's not going to come down amongst the believers in heaven and say, Oh, you've got such wonderful children. They're my grandchildren. No, there's no grandchildren. 
They're all his children. If you're his child and your children are in the covenant, your children are his children. Then they're not my children. I hate to say it this way. I don't hate to say it, but I mean, I'm going to say it this way. They're not my children. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. That God brought into my home. That I could raise them as a father natural. But there comes a time in the relationship where it has to go beyond just, I'm your father. I want them to come on the same level of communion with God as I have come. And there's only one way, faith in the provided sacrifice. I'm not the pastor here, so I'll leave some things out. You know, you just, we just, we have to realize this message is not legalistic. We don't want our children to come in line with a message. Line up with the message. God doesn't have grandchildren. Don't want them to line up with my ideas. I don't want them to understand my experience. I would, and I pray, and I hold to the provided sacrifice that God will reveal himself to them personally. And only there is our relationship secure. All right, let's carry on. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, is this okay? All right, it's okay with about half of you, roughly. The other half, just hold on. We'll come to the end in not too distant future. Today, that's what I'm saying. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac, praise the Lord, godly man, spiritual man, quiet man. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and that great spiritual man, Esau. Oh, that's not what you think of Esau. It's not what God thought of Esau either. God knew what Esau was going to be before Isaac had him. Do you think Isaac treated Esau any differently than Jacob? No. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Isaac loved Esau while Rebekah loved Jacob. So if it was the father's love, then we could say Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. My, I don't think fathers love one more than the other. We might love them differently or we might respond to them differently because they're different makeups and different personalities and different, different ways that God has brought them into the world and they've been through different experiences and all of those kind of things. But we relate to all of our children and we love all of our children. Amen. Amen. But they're all different. And, and you couldn't say Isaac didn't love Esau. So if it was on the basis of a father's love, Esau was saved. But it cannot be on the basis of a father's love. It can only be on the basis of faith in the provided sacrifice. You see, I'm anchoring this down this morning, aren't I? You have to realize that only in the provided sacrifice is that relationship assured. As a matter of fact, even when Isaac became old and his eyes became dim, God allowed his eyes to become dim because he saw that Jacob had respect unto the birthright. He had respect unto the blessing. And God was going to make sure the circumstances were there for Jacob to receive the blessing. 
And so as, as, God, as, as Isaac loved Esau, but as Isaac says, it's time for me to go. I'm getting very weak. My time is over. And so Esau, I want you to go and make some savory meat for me. Go and hunt something. I love your savory meat. I love the way you cook it, Esau. You don't just have right amount of, you cook it better than Rebecca. Don't tell her I told you that. You know, it's just so good, you know, in the way you make it and everything. And just, just make me some savory meat. And then that'll encourage me. That'll strengthen me. And I'll bless you. And you'll get the blessing. And so Esau's like, praise the Lord. Now's the time of the inheritance. Now's the time of the blessing. He goes out to hunt. And, and Rebecca, of course, heard it anyway. I can't believe he said his meat was better than my meat. She didn't say that. But, you know, she, she says to Jacob, Jacob, your father's going to bless Esau. You need to go in there first as Esau. She says, I'll make some savory meat. He won't know the difference because his taste buds are getting older. He says, and you go in there and give it to him, and you tell him you're Esau, and he puts some hairy skins on the backs of his hands and on the back of his neck and, and kind of disguised him as Esau and put some of Esau's clothes on him so that he smelled like Esau. I will not know what that smelled like, but, you know, he was, Esau was a man of the outdoors. He was rugged. You know, he was a daddy's boy. You know, he wasn't a mommy's boy. He was rugged, and oh, my son the hunter, and my son the fighter, and my son knows how to do things. Praise the Lord. My son this, and my son that. And Isaac was so proud of Esau, and Jacob slips into the tent. Here I am, Father. And Isaac goes, uh, who are you? He says, I'm Esau. Now listen, he's a prophet. Hello? He's God's prophet. And God blinded him to the fact that it wasn't Esau. God allowed him to be deceived because God uses his gifts for his purpose. See, if, if Isaac lived in our day, we would have said, well, he's no prophet. How can he be a prophet and, and bless Jacob instead of Esau? How, what kind of a prophet is that? You know, I can't believe he could make such a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. God allowed it to happen just that way because God is working out a purpose. Yes, Esau was Isaac's son, but God had chosen a Jacob as his own son. You see, it's not the father's love. It's the provided sacrifice. Hallelujah. I, I, could, I could spend a lot of time on this, this particular scene, but let's move on. Let's move on. Along comes, so Jacob gets the blessing, and we know the story. And Jacob moves on in life. He goes down, he marries Leah and marries Rachel, and has a lot of sons. He has a lot of sons. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, he has, you know, Judah, he has Reuben, he has, you know, different ones. And, and uh, Jacob had sons of varying degrees. Now, this is, this is important now because it's not just the father's love because Jacob had a son called Joseph. And we all know, we heard about it recently. Jacob really loved Joseph. Gave him that coat of many colors. Stood out from amongst his brethren. Joseph was a spiritual man. Joseph was a prophet. And Joseph was a man that Brother Bradham says as far as a man in this world, as perfect as a man could be. The character, the, 
the uprightness, the integrity, all of that in the midst of all of his troubles ends up down there in Egypt and everything like that. But Joseph had many sons. And so if we would look at Joseph, we would say, you know what? If it was us in the natural and we had a son like Joseph, we would want everything we know to go through Joseph. Is that right? This is how much we can be deceived as fathers. You know, Brother Branham talked about it amongst his own children. Oh, that Billy Paul might take my place. Then he says in another place, oh, that Rebecca, Rebecca might take my place and carry this message. Oh, that Joseph might take my place. You know, Brother Branham had different desires as a father, but what does God choose? And so there was Jacob with his sons. And as far as Joseph, we all look at Joseph, a perfect type of Christ, sold down into slavery and, and, and rose up on the right hand of Pharaoh and was a spiritual man, all those things. I won't go into the details. A man acquainted with troubles, acquainted with grief, went through all kinds of trials, yet saved the world by his position at the right hand of Pharaoh. All of that, we'd say Joseph is the man. But you know what? Joseph wasn't the man. Right. Judah was the man. And it was through the lineage of Judah that God chose. I established my covenant with him. And so it's not what, and even though Joseph, as far as the natural was concerned, when Israel went down into Egypt and, and Jacob took the family down in there and they lived in the land of Goshen, Joseph was the leader. But he wasn't the chosen lineage. The chosen lineage was through Judah. And then we find there was, even in, in that great man, Israel, Jacob, he had other sons. He had, he had sons that were, were great. And we could say, you know, uh, uh, he, had the Ju he had Judah and he had different ones. He had Joseph, but he also had a Reuben, unstable as water. He also had a Simeon and a Levi, whose anger caused them to rise up and slay a city. Is that right? But yet God still used Levi. God still used Simeon. God still did all these things. So what, I, what I'm anchoring down here now is that as fathers, our trust is not in our ability to raise our children. Our trust is not in our ability to instruct our children. Though we must raise our children, though we must instruct our children, our trust lays in the provided sacrifice alone. If we ever get away from that, brothers, we're lost. Amen. We go the way of the world. Relationships, families are broken. God doesn't have grandchildren. Hallelujah. So we're going to bring this to a close. What are you saying, Brother Tim? I'm saying what Jesus said when they came to him and it's all recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in Mark chapter three, they said to him and says, your brethren and your mother are standing just outside the meeting. They want to see you. And Jesus had a multitude that sat around him. And he said to them, he says, who is my mother? Or who are my brethren? And he looked round about them that sat about him. And he said, behold, my mother and my brethren. 
See, Jesus wasn't caught up in filial love. Jesus was caught up in God's eternal love. God so loved the world that he gave the provided sacrifice. God so loved the world that he gave the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What I'm saying is that it's not because they are my children that my children are going to be there. I'm sorry. If you're holding to that because they're your children, they're going to be there. They won't. But I'm holding to the fact that I have a token. My faith is not in my ability to produce offspring, is what I'm saying. My faith is that God has revealed his token to me. Hallelujah. My faith is that he has revealed his provided sacrifice to me. I hold the key by his revelation to all eternity. He has given me a right by the revelation of the word of God personally to me to apply that token to my family. He has given me a right, and only by faith in the token. It's not because I'm part of the message. It's not because I'm part of Cloverdale Bible Way. Let me say this with all the integrity of my heart. I love my family, but it's not my love as a father that's going to put them there. It's his love as a father that's going to put them there. And his love as a father provided a sacrifice for me. And because I have undying, unwavering, unequivocal faith in that provided sacrifice, he will fulfill his word. He will bring his promise to pass. Brother Adam said in the message, New Ministry, he says, he says, all things rested in the atonement. He says, uh, he says I was, of course, he's thinking about the scripture of speaking the word. If you say to this mountain, be thou removed and plucked into the sea. He says, all things rested in the atonement. There's no blessings outside of the atonement because we're sinners outside of the atonement. If it was just a universal thing for everybody, then everybody would be saved. But it's your attitude towards the blessings of the atonement that bring the blessings of the atonement to you. That's why when you believe for you and your family, the important part of that scripture is you. Did you know that? Because if you don't believe for you, you can never believe for your family. Amen. So it doesn't matter what ash heap God puts in our life. It doesn't matter what happens to the family. Job lost all of his family. But by holding to the provided sacrifice, God restored his family. Amen. Amen. Don't worry about your, and I really say this sincerely, don't worry about your wayward children. Listen, I've wrestled this to the depth of my being. It still kills me that one of my children might not be serving God. Kills me to the innermost part of my being. Because I love him with all my heart and I know the benefits of serving him. I also know that there are dozens of families in this church 
who have unsaved loved ones in their immediate family. I went down the list. I looked at it. Dozens. We're talking dozens. And I say to those families, you hold to the provided sacrifice. Don't look at your abilities. Don't look at your efforts. Don't look at your, your, your whatever, your education, your how great a dad or mom you were or anything like that. Don't look at anything like that. Lift your eyes up to him and look at him and say, Lord, I know whom I have believed. And I am fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded that he will keep his word. Hallelujah. If I was worried, I'm not then worried for my children. I'm worried that he won't keep his word. Hello? What are you worried about then? God keeps his word. Don't you worry one bit. Hallelujah. I was in that service when Brother Biscoll in camp, just down here on the Canadian side. Uh, what is, I don't remember the name of that camp. Qualmas, thank you. I was there in that service. Brother Tom has related it many times. Where, and I watched him at the end of that service as people were worshiping. Hearts were being given to God. People were calling out to God. I remember him sitting on the platform there. I can see it right now. Him see, he, and I saw it. He is wrestling with something. And he was just, you know how Brother Biscoe can get as he's really wrestling with God and he's got his hand up to his mouth like this and he's just, his eyes are closed and he's just very, very still and just like, I thought, man, God's dealing with him on something. And then he stepped up to the pulpit and stepped up to the microphone and he said, I give you your children. I don't, and he said these words, I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm going to say it the way I remember it. He says, I, I am not prone to these kind of things. I don't do this or something like that. He says, but God has dealt with me. And I watched God deal with him. He says, God has dealt with me. He says, and I say, I don't know if he said, thus saith the Lord. He may have, but he said, I give you your children. And that is an assurance, but that isn't the absolute. I appreciate that, but the absolute I have is right here. That God promised all things lay in the atonement. And if Brother Biscoll had never said that, yet I would still believe in the provided sacrifice for myself and for my household. Are you a believer this morning? Why don't the musicians come? You may have an amount, you may have a mountain that seems insurmountable as Brother Branham was wrestling with the scripture. If you say to this mountain, you might have something that, that you're going, there might not be children. You might not even have any children. It doesn't just apply to children. Brother Branham goes on in that message and he says, I begin to think about what he did with the prophets and something till I become so conscious of something near till I was talking to someone and something said to me that's in the atonement 
For if a man or a woman is so consecrated and surrendered to God that God just moves in and uses their voice, it isn't the man speaking, it's God that's in him speaking. Hallelujah. It just happens. That I've seen it happen. But he says, you get consecrated. What does that mean? It means you get separated to God. That's what consecration means. It's a separation unto God. Get away from your own ideas. Get away from your own feelings. I'll say get away from filial love. Get away from natural events of life. Get away from the worries of this age. Get alone with God as God reveals himself in the word for our day and get separated to that and let him move in. And then you watch God speak if you say to this mountain. Brother Branham said, he says, you see those kind of things happen in my life. He says, and I want you to know it wasn't me that wanted to say those things. It's him that told me to say those things. You see, it's God that's in him speaking. It's not Brother Branham's attitude. But now this morning as we talk about attitude towards the atonement, then we have to ask ourselves, well, what is God's attitude towards the atonement? As we bring this to a close, you can play I Have a Maker. I love that song. We, we know we have a maker, but we also know he's our father. What is God's attitude towards the atonement? God provided the sacrifice for his children. He didn't provide intelligence to every child. He didn't provide wealth to every child. They're all different. He didn't provide the same gift to every child. Some have gifts of this or that. God didn't provide Canada for all of his children. To some, he provided the United States. To some, he provided a European country or an African country. That's God's choice where you were born. He didn't provide the same parents to every child. He didn't provide a lot of things. And you might look at one another and you might look at me or I might look at you really more realistically and say, wow, I wish I was more like that. I look at great natural fathers in our midst and I admire that as a father. I think actually I'm probably the worst of all the fathers in the church. That's my own opinion. You can have yours. But yet in the midst of all that, whatever God puts in our lives, there is one thing he gave all of us that is the same provided sacrifice. And your faith in that provided sacrifice will produce the same results in your life as it does in my life, as it does in this one's life, as it does in that one's life. God providing himself a sacrifice. Let's stand together. I have a maker. 
your name he knows your cry see when God even said to Moses wherefore do the people cry unto me he wasn't actually just saying why are they crying that wasn't the point the point was what is, what is the nature of their cry why cry, speak. This is, and the, the very word in the Hebrew goes back to the nature. And you might have a cry before God this morning. What is the nature of your cry? And as God began to deal with Moses and deal with Israel there, what is the nature of your cry? The nature of your cry 
is you want peace, you want a place to live, you want food, you want your family, you want this, you want that. He says, all these things I've promised you are in the land, and I've already given you the message that will take you to that land. Amen. So why are you speaking to me this way? Why are you crying? Look at the reason of your cry and realize I've given you the message that answers your cry. And so I say, brothers and sisters, what is your cry to God this morning? Is your cry for healing? It's laying there in the Word. Sinner friend, is your cry for salvation? If you'll just lift your heart to God and repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, He'll save you. He'll bring you into the covenant. If your cry is for deliverance, the answer to the cry is already in the message. If your cry is for your family, the answer for your cry is already in the Word. It's already laying there. Just look up to the atonement. All things lay in the atonement. And accept what God has provided for you. Are you on an ash heap this morning? Just stay with your eyes focused on the atonement. I know my Redeemer lives. I know I've made the provided sacrifice. I know I've accepted his provided sacrifice. And I stand there this morning. And if you're here this morning as our heads are bowed, and you just want to express yourself to God and say, Oh Lord, I've heard your word. And I lift up my heart to you this morning from this ash heap that I'm sitting in, in my life. Lord, I say, I might not know the answer, but I believe in the provided sacrifice. I believe with all my heart in the atoning work of Calvary through the blood of Jesus Christ has provided for the payment price for every blessing, every promise in the Word of God. And I'm sitting on this ash heap until, Lord, you reveal it to me that, Lord, I am a possessor of all these things. I believe you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts and our heads before you. We lift up our hands in your presence, O oh God. In the midst of these trials, this might be a, a broken up service. This might be a, a service of maybe just a, a pondering these things and considering, O oh God, where we stand. But I pray, Lord, for every soul that is under the sound of my voice. Lord, may the power of your word, not the power of my voice, but may the power of your word Reach down into every heart, O oh God, and quicken them. And Lord, may you speak to them. I am the God that heals all your sicknesses and diseases. I am the God that saves your soul. I am the God of the provided sacrifice. I am the one that has come down to draw you. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, may your quickening power move over every one of your children. Lord, even those that are not here. Lord, we have loved ones that are not here. But, Lord, they're your children. We give them to you as your children, Lord, for whom you made the provided sacrifice. Even now, Lord Jesus, may your presence go after them. Lord, may you deal with them. And we will not worry about them. For, Lord, to worry about them is to doubt your word. But we believe your word. We shall have all that you have promised. And we believe it this morning. 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe it with all of our hearts. We claim it for the glory of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a song. Brother Anthony, where are you? You're here somewhere. Here he is. Do you know that song, We Cry Out? Uh, can you put that up on the screen, the first verse? I, I'm not sure that I know it. I know, uh, I know about it. I'm not sure I'm personally acquainted with this song, is I guess what I'm saying. But I love the words. Father of life, seated on your throne of grace. It's only by your mercy we are saved. Amen. Lord, you have said if we call upon your name, we and our families shall be saved. You accept that? Let's cry out this, this morning. Father of life, seated on your throne of grace, it's only by your mercies we are saved. Yes, Lord.
without the music now. So we cry. tomorrow cry out to him but remember the nature of your cry the nature of your cry is Lord restore me Lord restore me to what I was in your mind before the foundation of the world Lord restore me to all the promises in the word Lord restore my family and because it's not about filial love, it's about eternal agapo, God's own love projected. When, so, when, when divine love is projected, sovereign grace comes on the scene to produce the result. And the only way to project sovereign love is to be sovereign love. The only way to project divine love is to be filled with divine love in every situation. Get up on the ash heap in the power of divine love. And then it doesn't matter whether you're talking to your children, as Brother Branham said, or whether you're talking to the neighbor, or whether you're talking to somebody else, or whether you're talking on the foreign field. It's divine, sovereign, predestinated, agapo love projecting from your life that will produce a result. God's love projected provided a sacrifice. And God's love in you projected will produce the result by sovereign grace. Aren't you glad for that? We rely on His grace. Are you relying on His grace? Somebody say amen to that. I'm relying on His grace this morning. 
Amen. Brother Anthony, just close us in a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the word that you've spoken to us, Lord. As we've heard over the many weeks, Lord, about our Father. Lord, we think of the Lord's prayer, our Father, who which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, thy kingdom would come here. Oh, thy will would be done in our lives, oh Jesus. Oh God, we give ourselves to you this morning, oh Jesus. We lay our lives down at your feet, Lord. Oh God, there's so much that we could be thankful for, oh God, and so much that we are thankful for, oh God. Our Father, he has done so very much for us, Lord, and we are grateful, Jesus, that we could shout out your name, could give you praise, Lord. Adonai, oh Jesus. God, we just love you so much, oh Jesus. We thank you for our servant, Brother Tim, who has come this morning, oh God, spoken and given his heart to you, oh Jesus. Would you pour back into him, oh Jesus? Oh, God, bless your people, oh, Jesus, as they go their way, oh, God. May they ponder on these things, oh, Jesus, and your love, oh, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We can't help but love him. He's wonderful. Especially to reveal his word to us. But especially that he has a personal relationship with each and every one of us. We're so thankful for that. Aren't you glad you can get down on your knees and talk directly to God? You don't need no middleman, no priest, no asking Mary to talk to Jesus for you or something like that, you know. You can talk directly to Him. The God who created the universe. Oh, we just love Him. Amen. And Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Amen. Do you love one another? Oh, that was pretty mediocre. Do you love one another? Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning. Shake hands with one another as you go. Remember the Wednesday night service, Lord willing. Brother Jean Manassi will be bringing the word on Wednesday night. God bless you.